published in 1992 and translated by Alan R. Clark. The author of the book is Paolo Coelho. Part 1. The boy's name was Santiago. Dusk was falling as the boy arrived with his herd at an abandoned church. The roof had fallen in long ago and an animal sycamore had grown on the spot where the sacristy had once stood. He decided to spend the night there. He saw to it that all the sheep entered through the wrong gate and then laid some planks across it to prevent the flock from wandering away during the night. There were no wolves in the region, but once an animal had strayed during the night and the boy had had to spend the entire day searching for it. He swept the floor with his jacket and lay down, using the book he had just finished reading as a pillow. He told himself that he would have to start reading thicker books that lasted longer and made more comfortable pillows. It was still dark when he awoke, and looking up, he could see the stars through the half-destroyed roof. I wanted to sleep a little longer, he thought. He had had the same dream that night as a week ago and once again he had awakened before it ended. He arose and taking up his crook began to awaken the sheep that still slept. He had noticed that as soon as he woke most of his animals also began to stare. It was as if some mysterious energy bound his life to that of the sheep with whom he had spent the past two years leading them through the countryside in search of food and water. They are so used to me that they know my schedule, he muttered. Thinking about that for a moment, he realized that it could be the other way around, that it was he who had become accustomed to the schedule. But there were certain of them who took a bit longer to awaken. The boy prodded them, one by one, with his crook, calling each by name. He had always believed that sheep were able to understand what he said. So there were times when he read them part of his books that had made an impression on him, or when he would tell them of the loneliness or the happiness of a shepherd in the field. Sometimes he would comment to them on the things he had seen in the villages they passed. But for the past few days, he had spoken to them about only one thing. The girl, the daughter of a merchant who lived in the village they were rich in about four days. He had been to the village only once the year before. The merchant was the proprietor of a dry goods shop. And he always demanded that the boy share the sheep in his presence so that he would not be cheated. A friend had told the boy about 
called the shop and he had taken his sheep there. I need to sell some wool, the boy told the merchant. The shop was busy and the man asked the shepherd to wait until the afternoon. So the boy sat on the steps of the shop and took a book from his bag. I didn't know shepherd knew how to read, said the girl's voice behind him. The girl was typical of the region of Andalusia, with flowing black hair and eyes that vaguely recalled the Moorish conquerors. Well, usually I learn more from my sheep than from books, he answered. During the two hours that they talked, she told him she was the merchant's daughter and spoke of life in the village where each day was like all others. The sheep told her of the Andalusian countryside and related the news from the other towns where he had stopped. It was a pleasant change from talking to his sheep. How did you learn to read? The girl asked at one point. Like everybody else, he said, in school. Well, if you knew how to read, why are you just a shepherd? The boy mumbled an answer that allowed him to avoid responding to her question. He was sure the girl would never understand. He went on telling stories about his travels and her bright Moorish eyes went wide with fear and surprise. As the time passed, the boy found himself wishing that the day would never end, that her father would stay busy and keep him waiting for three days. He recognized that he was feeling something he had never experienced before, the desire to live in one place forever, with a girl with a raving hair. His days would never be the same again. But finally, the merchant appeared and asked the boy to share four sheep. He paid for the wood and asked the shepherd to come back the following year. And now, it was only four days before he would back in that same village. He was excited and at the same time uneasy. Maybe the girl had already forgotten him. Lots of shepherds passed through selling their wool. It doesn't matter, he said to his sheep. I know other girls in other places, but in his heart, he knew that it did matter. And he knew the shepherds, like seamen or like traveling salesmen, always found it hell where there was someone who could make them forget the joys of carefree wandering. The day was dying, and the sheep arched a sheep in the direction of the sun. He never had to make any decisions, he thought. Maybe that's why they always stay close to me. The only things that concerned the sheep were food and water. As long as the boy knew how to find the best pastures in Andalusia, they would be his friends. Yes, the days were all the same, with the seeming endless hours between sunrise and dusk, and he had never read a book in the young lives, and didn't understand when the boy told them about the sight of the cities. They were content with just food and water and in exchange 
generously gave of their wool, their company in once in a while, their meat. If I become a master today in deciding to kill them one by one, they would become aware only after most of the floor had been slaughtered, thought the boy. Trust me, and they've forgotten how to relearn their own instincts because I lead them to nourishment. The boy was surprised at his thought. Maybe the church, with a sycamore growing from within, had been haunted. It had caused him to have the same dream for a second time and was causing him to feel anger toward his faithful companion. He drank a bit from the wine that remained from the dinner of the night before, and he gathered his jacket closer to his body. He knew that a few hours from now, with the sun at its zenith, the heat would be so great that he would not be able to lead his flock across the fields. It was the time of day when all of Spain slept during the summer. The heat lasted until nightfall, and all that time he had to carry his jacket. But when he thought to complain about the burden of its weight, he remembered that because he had had the jacket, it withstood the cold of the dawn. We have to be prepared for change, he thought and was grateful for the jacket's weight and warmth. The jacket had a purpose, and so did the boy. His purpose in life was to travel, and after two years of walking the Andalusian terrain, he knew all the cities of the region. He was planning on this visit to explain to the girl how it was that a simple shepherd knew how to read, that he had attended a seminary until he was 16, his parents wanted him to become a priest, and thereby his source of pride for a simple farm family. They worked hard to have food and water, like the sheep. He had studied Latin, Spanish, and theology. But ever since he had been a child, he'd wanted to know the world, and this was much more important to him than knowing God and learning about man's sins. One afternoon, on a visit to his family, he summoned up the courage to tell his father that he wanted to become a priest, that he wanted to travel. People from all over the world have passed through this village, son, said his father. They come in search of new things. When they leave, they are basically the same people they were. When they arrived, they climbed the mountains to see the castle, and they wind up thinking that the past was better than what we have now. They have blown hair or dark skin, but basically, they are the same as the people who live right here. But I like to see the castles in the town where they live, the boy explained. Those people, when they see our land, See that they would like to live here forever. The father continued. Well, I'd like to see the land and see how they live, said his son. The people who come here have a lot of money to spend so they can afford to travel. His father said, Amongst us, the only ones who travel 
are the shepherd. Well, then I'll be a shepherd. His father said no more. The next day, he gave his son a pulse that held three Asian Spanish gold coins. I found this one day in the field. I wanted them to be a part of your inheritance. But use them to buy your flock. Take to the field. And someday you will learn that our countryside is the best and our women the most beautiful. And he gave the boy his blessing. The boy could see in his father's case a desire to be able himself to travel the world. A desire that was still alive despite his father having to bury it over dozens of years under the burden of struggling for water to drink food to eat and the same place to sleep every night of his life. The horizon was tinged with red and suddenly the sun appeared. The boy thought back to that conversation with his father and felt happy. He had already seen many castles and met many women but none the equal of the one who awaited himself these days. He owned a jacket, a book that he could trade for another, and a flock of sheep. But mostly important, he was able every day to live out his dream. If he were to tie up the Andalusian fields, he could sell his sheep and go to sea. By the time he had had enough of the sea, he would already have known other cities, other women, and other chances to be happy. I couldn't have found code in the seminary, he thought, as he looked at the sunlight. Whenever he could, he sought out a new road to travel. He had never been to that ruined church before. In spite of having traveled through those parts many times, the world was huge and inexhaustible. He had only to allow his sheep to set the world for a while and he would discover other interesting things. The problem is that they don't even realize they're walking a new road every day. They don't see that the fields are new and the seasons change. All they think about is food and water. Maybe we are all the same, the boy mused, even me. I haven't thought of other women since I met the merchant's daughter. Looking at the sun, he calculated that he would reach Tarifa before midday. Therefore, he could exchange his book for a thicker one, fill his wine bottle, shave, and have a hair cut. He had to prepare himself for his meeting with a girl, and he didn't want to think about the possibility that some other shepherd with a large flock of sheep had arrived there before him. It is the possibility of having a dream come true that makes life interesting, he thought. As he looked again at the position of the sun and hurried his pace, he had suddenly remembered that in Tarifa there was an old woman who interpreted dreams. The old woman led the boy to a room at the back of her house. It was separated from her living room by a curtain of colored beads. The room's furnishings consisted of a table, 
an image of the sacred heart of Jesus and two chairs. The woman sat down and told him to be seated as well. And she took both of his hands and eyes and began quietly to pray. It sounded like a gypsy prayer. The boy had already had experience on the road with gypsies. They also traveled, but they had no flocks or sheep. People said that Jesus spent his life tricking others. It was also said that he had a pact with the devil. And he kidnapped children and taking them away to the mysterious camps made them their slaves. As a child, the boy had always been fighting to death that he would be captured by gypsies. And this childhood fear returned when the old woman took his hand in hers. But she had the sacred heart of Jesus there, he thought, trying to reassure himself. He didn't want his hand to begin trembling, showing the old woman that he was fearful. He recited in our father's sentence, very interesting, said the woman, never taking her eyes from the boy's hands. And then she fell silent. The boy was becoming nervous. His hands began to tremble, and the woman sensed it. He quickly pulled his hands away. I didn't come here to have you beat my palm, he said, already regretting having come. He thought for a moment that it would be better to pay her fee and leave without learning a thing. It was giving too much importance to his recurrent dreams. You came so that you could learn about your dreams, said the old woman. Dreams are the language of God. When he speaks in our language, you can interpret what he has said. But if he speaks in the language of the soul, it is only you. But whichever it is, I'm going to charge you for the consultation. Another trick, the boy thought, but he decided to take a chance. A shepherd always takes his chances with wolves and with drought, and that's what makes a shepherd's life exciting. I have had the same dream twice, he said. I dreamed I was in a field with my sheep. When a child appeared and began to play with the animals, I don't like people to do that because the sheep are afraid of strangers. But children always seems to be able to play with them without frightening them. I don't know why. I don't know how animals know the age of human beings. Tell me about your dream, said the woman. I have to get back to my cooking. And since you don't have much money, I can give you a lot of time. The child went on playing with my sheep for quite a while, continued the boy, a bit upset. And suddenly, the child took me by both hands and transported me to the Egyptian pyramids. He paused for a moment to see if the woman knew what the Egyptian pyramids were. But she said nothing. Then are the Egyptian pyramids, he said the last three words slowly so that the woman would understand. The child said to me, if you come here, you will find a hidden treasure. And just as she was about to show me the exact location, 
I woke up. Both times. The woman was silent for some time. Then she began again and took his hands and studied them carefully. I am not going to charge you anything now, she said. But I want one tenth of the treasure if you find it. The boy laughed out of happiness. He was going to be able to save the little money he had because of a dream about hidden treasure. Well, interpret a dream, he said. First, swear to me. Swear that you will give me one tenth of your treasure in exchange for what I'm going to tell you. The shepherd swore that he would. The old woman asked him to swear again while looking at the image of the sacred heart of Jesus. It is a dream in the language of the word, she said. I can interpret it, but the interpretation is very difficult. That's why I feel that I deserve a part of what you find. And this is my interpretation. You must go to the pyramids in Egypt. They've never heard of them. But if it was a child who showed them to you, they exist. There you will find a treasure that will make you a rich man. The boy was surprised and then irritated. He didn't need to seek out the old man for this. But then he remembered that he wasn't going to have to pay anything. I didn't need to waste my time just for this, he said. I told you that your dream was a difficult one. It is the simple things in life that are the most extraordinary. Only wise men are able to understand them. And since I'm not wise, I have hard to learn all the arts, such as the reading of palms. Well, how am I going to get to Egypt? I only interpret dreams. I don't know how to turn them into reality. That's why I have had to leave off what my daughters provide me with. And what if I never get to Egypt? Then I don't get paid. It wouldn't be the first time. And the woman told the boy to leave, saying she had already wasted too much time with him. So the boy was disappointed. He decided that he would never again believe in dreams. He remembered that he had a number of things he had to take care of. He went to the market for something to eat. He treated his book for one that was thicker. And he found a bench in the plaza where he could sample the new wine he had bought. The day was hot and the wine was refreshing. The sheep were at the gate of the city in a stable that belonged to a friend. The boy knew a lot of people in the city. That was what made traveling appeal to him. He always made new friends and he didn't need to spend all of his time with them. When someone sees the same people every day as he had happened with him at the seminary, they wind up becoming a part of that person's life. And then they want the person to change. If someone isn't what others want them to be, the others become angry. Everyone seems to have a clear idea of how other people should lead their lives, but none about his or her own. 
decided to wait until the sun had sunk a bit lower in the sky before following his flock back through the fields. Three days from now, he would be with the marching starter. He started to read a book he had bought. On the very first page, it described a very ceremony, and the names of the people involved were very difficult to pronounce. If he ever wrote a book, he thought he would present one person at a time so that the reader wouldn't have to worry about memorizing a lot of names. When he was finally able to concentrate on what he was reading, he liked the book better. The burial was on a snowy day and he welcomed the feeling of being cold. As he read on, an old man sat at his side and tried to strike up a conversation. What are they doing? The old man asked, pointing at the people in the plaza. Working, the boy answered dryly, making it look as if he wanted to concentrate on his reading. Actually, he was thinking about sharing a sheet in front of the merchant's daughter so that she could see that he was someone who was capable of doing difficult things. He had already imagined the scene many times. Every time, the girl became fascinated when he explained that the sheep had to be shared from back to front. He also tried to remember some good stories to relate as he shared the sheep. Most of them he had read in books, but he would tell them as if they were from his personal experience. She would never know the difference because she didn't know how to read. Meanwhile, the old man persisted in his attempt to strike up a conversation. He said that he was tired and thirsty and asked if he might have a sip of the boy's wine. The boy offered his bottle, hoping that the old man would leave him alone. But the old man wanted to talk and he asked the boy what book he was reading. The boy was tempted to be rude and moved to another bench. His father had taught him to be respectful of the elderly, so he held out the book to the man for two reasons. First, that he himself wasn't sure how to pronounce the title, and second, that if the old man didn't know how to read, he would probably feel ashamed and decide of his own accord to change ben benches. Mm, said the old man, looking at all sides of the book as if it were some strange object. This is an important book, but it's really irritating. The boy was shocked. The old man knew how to read, and then Ruth read the book. And if the book was irritating, as the old man had said, the boy still had time to change it for another. It's a book that says the same thing almost all the other books in the world say, continued the old man. It describes people's inability to choose their own destinies. And it ends up saying that everyone believes the world's greatest lie. What's the world's greatest lie? The boy asked, completely surprised. It's this, that at a certain point in our lives, we lose control of what happened to us. And our lives become controlled by fate are the words greatest lie. That never happened to me, the boy said. They wanted me to be a priest, but I decided to become a shepherd. 
much better, said the old man, because you really like to travel. He knew what I was thinking, the boy said to himself. The old man, meanwhile, was leafing through the book without seeming to want to return it at all. The boy noticed that the man's clothing was strange. He looked like an Arab, which was not unusual in those parts. Africa was only a few hours from Tarifa. One had only to cross the narrow street by boat. Arabs often appeared in the city, shopping and chanting a strange prayer several times a day. Where are you from? the boy asked. From many places. No one can be from many places, the boy said. I am a shepherd and I have been to many places, but I come from only one place, from a city near an ancient castle. That's where I was born. Well then, we could see that I was born in Salem. The boy didn't know where Salem was, but he didn't want to ask, fearing that he would appear ignorant. He looked at the people in the plaza for a while. They were coming and going, and all of them seemed to be very busy. So what is Salem like? He asked, trying to get some sort of clue. It's like it always has been. No clue yet, but he knew that Salem wasn't in Andalusia. If it were, he would already have heard of it. And what do you do in Salem, he insisted. What do I do in Salem? The woodman laughed. Well, I am the king of Salem. People say strange things, the boy thought. Sometimes it's better to be with sheep who don't say anything. And better still to be alone with one's book. They tell their incredible stories at a time when you want to hear them. But when you are talking to people, they say some things that are so strange that you don't know how to continue the conversation. My name is Melchizedek, said the old man. How many sheep do you have? Enough, said the boy. He could see that the old man wanted to know more about his life. Well, then we've got a problem. I can't help you if you feel you've got enough sheep. The boy was getting irritated. He wasn't asking for help. It was the old man who had asked for a drink of his wine and he started the conversation. Give me my book, the boy said. I have to go and gather my sheep and get going. Give me one cent of your sheep, said the old man. Tell you how to find the hidden treasure. The boy remembered his dream, and suddenly there was this was clear to him. The old woman hadn't charged him anything. But the old man, maybe he was her husband, was going to find a way to get much more money in exchange for information about something that didn't even exist. Old man was probably a gypsy too. But before the boy could say anything, the old man leaned over, picked up a stick, and began to write in the sand of the plaza. Something bright reflected from his chest with such intensity that the boy was momentarily blinded. With a movement that was too quick for someone his age, the man covered whatever it was with his cape. When his vision returned to normal, the boy was able to read what the old man had written in the sand. 
There, in the sand of the plaza of the small city, the boy read the names of his father and his mother and the name of the seminary he had attended. He read the name of the merchant's daughter, which he hadn't even known, and he read things he had never told anyone. I am the king of Salem, the old man had said. Why would a king be talking with a shepherd? The boy asked, awed and embarrassed. For several reasons. But well, let's say that the most important is that you have succeeded in discovering your destiny. The boy didn't know what a person's destiny was. It was you always wanted to accomplish. Everyone, when they're young, knows what their destiny is. At that point in their lives, everything is clear and everything is possible. They are not afraid to dream and to yearn for everything they would like to see happen to them in their lives. But as time passes, a mysterious force begins to convince them that it will be impossible for them to realize their destiny. None of what the old man was saying made much sense to the boy. For he wanted to know what the mysterious force was. The merchant's daughter would be impressed when he told her about that. It's a force that appears to be negative, but actually shows you how to realize your destiny. It prepares your spirit and your will because there's one great truth from this planet. Whoever you are, or whatever it is that you do, when you really want something, it's because that desire originated in the soul of the universe. It is your mission on earth. Even when all you want to do is travel or marry the daughter of a textile merchant. Yes, or even search for treasure. The soul of the world is nourished by deepest happiness. And also by unhappiness, envy and jealousy. To realize one destiny is a person's only real obligation. All things are one. And when you want something, all the universe conspires in helping you to achieve it. They were both silent for a while, observing the blazers and the townspeople. It was the old man who spoke first. Why do you tend a flock of sheep? Because I like to travel. The old man pointed to a baker standing in a shop window at one corner of the plaza. When he was a child, the man wanted to travel too, but he decided first to buy his bakery and put some money inside. When he is an old man, he's going to spend a month in Africa. He never realized that people are capable at any time in their lives of doing what to dream of. He should have decided to become a shepherd, the boy said. Well, he thought about that. The old man said, but bakers are more important people than shepherds. Bakers have homes while shepherds sleep out in the open. Parents will rather see their children marry bakers than shepherds. The boy felt a pang in his heart thinking about the merchant's daughter. There was surely a baker in our town. The old man continued, in the long run, what people think about shepherds and bakers become more important for them than their own destinies. 
The old man leafed through the book and fell to reading a page he came to. The boy waited and then interrupted the old man just as himself had been interrupted. Why are you telling me all this? Because you are trying to realize your destiny. You are the point where you are able to give it all up. And that's what you always appear on the scene. Not always in this way. But I always appear in one form or another. Sometimes I appear in the form of a solution. Or a good idea. Or other times at a crucial moment. I make it easier for things to happen. There are other things I do too. But most of the time, people don't realize I have done them. The old man related that the week before he had been forced to appear before a miner had taken the form of a stone. The miner had abandoned everything to go mining for emeralds. For five years, he had been working in a certain river and he examined hundreds of thousands of stones looking for an emerald. The miner was about to give it all up, right at the point when if he was able to examine just one more stone, just one more, he would find his emerald. Since the miner had sacrificed everything to his destiny, the old man decided to become involved. He transformed himself into a stone that rolled up to the miner's foot. The miner, with all the anger and frustration of his five fruitless years, picked up the stone and threw it aside. But he had known, he had, but he had thrown it with such force that it broke the stone it fell upon. And there, embedded in a broken stone, was the most beautiful emerald in the world. People learn early in their lives what is the reason for being said the old man with a certain bitterness. Maybe that's why they give up on it so early, too. But that's the way it is. The boy reminded the old man that he had something about hidden treasure. Treasure is uncovered by the force of flowing waters, and it is buried by the same currents. Said the old man, if you want to learn about your own treasure, you have to give me one friend of your flock. What about one thing of my treasure? The old man looked disappointed. If you started by promising what you don't even have yet, you will lose your desire to work towards getting it. The boy told him that he had already promised to give one thing of his treasure to the gypsy. Gypsies are experts at getting people to do that, sighed the old man. In any case, it's good that you've learned that everything in life has its price. This is what the warriors of the light try to teach. The old man returned the book to the boy. Tomorrow, at the same time, bring me a fent of your flock, and I will tell you how to find the hidden treasure. Good afternoon. And he vanished around the corner of the plaza. The boy again began to read his book. But he was no longer able to concentrate. He was tense and upset because he knew that the old man was right. He went over to the bakery and bought a loaf of bread, thinking about whether or not he should tell the baker what the old man had said about him. 
Sometimes it is better to leave things as they are, he thought to himself, and decided to say nothing. If we were to say anything, the baker would spend three days thinking about it all up, even though he had gotten used to the way things were. The boy could certainly resist causing that kind of anxiety for the baker. So he began to wander through the city and found himself at the gate. There was a small building there with a window at which people bought tickets to Africa. And he knew that Egypt was in Africa. Can I help you? asked the man behind the window. Maybe tomorrow, said the boy, moving away. If he saw just one of his sheep, he have had enough to get the older show of the street. The idea frightened him. Another dream, said the ticket seller to his assistant, watching the boy walk away. He doesn't have enough money to travel. While standing at the ticket window, the boy had remembered his flock and decided he should go back to being a shepherd. In two years, he had learned everything about shepherding. He knew how to share sheep, how to care for pregnant ewes, and how to protect the sheep from wolves. He knew all the fields and pastures of Andalusia, and he knew what was the fair price for every one of his animals. He decided to return to his friend's stable by the longest route possible. As he walked past the city's castle, he interrupted his return and climbed the stone ramp that led to the top of the wall. From there, he could see Africa in the distance. Someone had once told him that it was from there that the Moors had come to occupy all of Spain. He could see almost the entire city from where he sat, including the plazas, where he had talked with the old man. Cast the moment I met that old man, he thought. He had come to town only to find a woman who could interpret his dream. Neither the woman or the old man were at all impressed by the fact that he was a shepherd. They were solitary individuals who no longer believed in things and didn't understand that shepherds become attached to their sheep. He knew everything about each member of his flock. He knew which ones were lame, which ones was to give birth two months from now, and which were the laziest. He knew how to share them and how to slaughter them. If he ever decided to leave them, they would suffer. The wind began to pick up. He knew that wind. People call it the Levanter because on it the moors had come from the Levant at the eastern end of the Mediterranean. The Levanter increased in intensity. Here I am, between my flock and my treasure, the boy thought. He had to choose between something he had become accustomed to and something he wanted to have. There was also the merchant's daughter, but she wasn't as important as his flock because she didn't depend on him. Maybe she didn't even remember him. Maybe she didn't even remember him. He was sure that it made no difference to her on which day he appeared. For her, every day was the same. And when each day is the same as the next, it's because people fail to recognize the good things that happen in their lives every day. But the sun rises. I left my father, my mother, and the town castle behind. They've forgotten me. They have gotten used to my being away, and so have I. The sheep will get used to my not being here too, the boy thought. From where he sat, he could observe the plaza 
people continued to come and go from the baker's shop. The young couple sat on the bench where he had talked with the old man and he kissed. That baker, he said to himself, without completing the thought, the Levento was still getting stronger and he felt it force on his feet. That wind had brought the moors, yes, but it had also brought the smell of the desert and of veiled women. It had brought with it the sweat and the dreams of men who had once left to search for the unknown and for the golden adventure and for the pyramids. The boy felt jealous of the freedom of the wind and saw that he could have had the same freedom. There was nothing to hold him back except himself. The sheep, the merchant's daughter, and the fields of Andalusia were only steps along the way to his destiny. The next day, the boy met the old man at noon. He brought six sheep with him. I am surprised, the boy said. My friend bought all the other sheep immediately. He said that he had always dreamed of being a shepherd and that he was a good woman. That's the way it always is, said the old man. It is called the principle of favorability. When you play cards the first time, you are almost sure to win. Beginner's luck. Why is that? Because there is this force that wants you to realize your destiny. It whets your appetite with a taste of success. Then the old man began to inspect the sheep and he saw that one was lame. The boy explained that it wasn't important since that sheep was the most intelligent of the flock and produced the most wool. Where, where is the treasure? He asked. It's in Egypt, near the pyramids. The boy was startled. The old woman had said the same thing, but she hadn't charged him anything. In order to find your treasure, you will have to follow the woman. God has prepared a path for everyone to follow. You have to read the woman that he left for you. Before the boy could reply, a butterfly appeared and fluttered between him and the old man. He remembered something his grandfather had once told him, that butterflies were good omens, like crickets and like expectation, like lizards and four-leaf clovers. That's right, said the old man, able to read the boy's thoughts. Just as your grandfather told you, these are good omens. The old man opened his cave, and the boy was struck by what he saw. The old man wore a breastplate of heavy gold, covered with precious stones. The boy recalled the brilliance he had noticed on the previous day. He really was a king. He must be disguised to avoid encounter with thieves. Take this, said the old man, holding out a white stone and a black stone that had been embedded in the center of the breastplate. They are called Urim and Tumim. The black signifies yes and the white no. When you are unable to read the omens, they will help you to do so. Always ask an objective question. But if you can't, try to make your own decisions. The treasures at the pyramids that you already knew, but I had to insist on the payment of six sheep because I helped you to make your decision. The boy put the stones in his pouch. From then on, he would make his own decisions. Don't forget that everything you deal with is only one thing and nothing else.
and don't forget the language of women and above all don't forget to follow his destiny through to its conclusion but before I go I want you to tell you its little story a sudden shopkeeper sent his son to learn about the secret of happiness from the wisest man in the world the lad wandered through the desert for days and finally came upon a beautiful castle high atop a mountain. It was there that the wise man insisted, rather than finding a saintly man, though our hero, on entering the main room of the castle, saw a heave of activity. Tradesmen came and went. People were conversing in the corners. A small orchestra was playing soft music and there was a table covered with platters of the most delicious food in that part of the world. The wise man conversed with everyone, and the boy had to wait for two hours before it was his turn to be given the man's attention. The wise man listened attentively to the boy's explanation of why he had come, but told him that he didn't have time just then to explain the secret of happiness. Suggested that the boy look around the palace and return in two hours. Meanwhile, I want to ask you to do something, said the wise man. And then the boy a teaspoon that held two drops of oil. As you wander around, carry this spoon with you without allowing the oil to spill. The boy began climbing and descending the many stairways of the palace, keeping his eyes fixed on the spoon. After two hours, he returned to the room where the wise man was. Well, asked the wise man, did you see the passion tapestry that hanging in my dining hall? Did you see the garden that it took the master gardener ten years to create? Did you notice the beautiful passion in my library? The boy was embarrassed and confessed that he had observed nothing. His only concern had not been only to spill the oil that the wise man had entrusted to him. Then go back and observe the marvels of my world, said the wise man. You cannot trust the man if you don't know his house. Relieved, the boy picked up the spoon and returned to his exploration of the palace, this time observing all of the works about him, the ceilings and the walls. He saw the gardens and the mountains all around him beauty of the flowers and the taste with which everything had been selected. Upon returning to the wise man, he related in detail everything he had seen. But where are the drops of oil I have entrusted to you? asked the wise man. Looking down at the spoon he held, the boy saw that the oil was gone. Well, there is only one piece of advice I can give, said the wise man wise men. The secret of happiness is to see all the marvels of the world and never to forget the drops of oil on the spoon. The shepherd said nothing. He had understood the story the king had told him. The shepherd may like to travel, but he should never forget about his sheep. The woodman looked at the boy and with his hand held together, make several strange gesture over the boy's head. Then taking a sheep, he walked away. At the highest point in Tarifa, there is an old fort built by the monks. From atop its walls, 
one can catch a glimpse of Africa. Melchizedek, the king of Salem, sat on the wall of the fort that afternoon and felt the Levantine blowing on his face. The sheep fidgeted never, uneasy with the new owner and excited by so much change. All they wanted was food and water. Melchizedek watched a small sheep that was plowing its way out of the fort. He would never again see the boy, just as he has never seen again Abraham again after he charged him his one fancy fee. That was his work. The gods should not have desires because they don't have destiny. But the king of Salem hoped desperately that the boy would be successful. It is too bad that he's quickly going to forget my name, he thought. I should have repeated it for him. And when he spoke about me, he would say that I am Melchizedek, the king of Salem. He looked to the sky, feeling a bit abashed and said, I know it is the vanities of vanities, as you said, my lord. But an old king sometimes has to take some pride in himself. How strange Africa is, thought the boy. He was sitting in a bar very much like the older bars he had seen along the narrow street of Tangier. Some men were smoking from a gigantic pipe that they passed from one to the other. In just a few hours, he had seen men walking hand in hand, women with their faces covered, and priests that climbed to the tops of towers and chanted. As everyone about him went to the knees and placed their foreheads on the ground, a practice of infidels, he thought to himself. As a child in church, he'd always look at the image of Saint Santiago Matamoros on his white horse. His sword, unsheathed, and figures such as this kneeling at his feet. The boy felt ill and terribly alone. The infidels had had an evil look about them. Beside this, in the rush of his travels, he forgetting a detail, just one detail, which could keep him from his treasure for a long time. Only Arabic was spoken in this country. The owner of the bar approached him, and the boy pointed to a drink that had been served at the next table. It turned out to be a bitter tea. The boy preferred wine. But he didn't need to worry about that right now. What he had to be concerned about was his treasure and how he was going to go about getting it. The seed of his sheep had left him with enough money in his pouch, and the boy knew that in money there was magic. Whoever has money is rarely alone. Before long, maybe in just a few days, he will be at the pyramids. An old man with a breastplate of gold would have lied just to acquire six sheep. The old man had forgotten and had spoken about signs and omens. And as the boy was crossing the street, he thought about omens. Yes, the old man has known what he was talking about. During the time the boy had spent in the field of Andalusia, he had become used to learning which part he should take by observing the ground and the sky. He had discovered that the presence of the certain bad men that a snake was nearby, and that a sudden shock was the sign that there was water in the area. The sheep had taught him that. If God leads the sheep so well, it will also lead the man, he thought. And that made him feel better. The tea seems less bitter. Who are you? He asked the boy. 
He heard a voice ask him in Spanish. The boy was relieved. He was thinking about omens and someone had appeared. How come you speak Spanish? He asked. The new arrival was a young man, western dress, but the color of his skin suggested he was from the city. He was about the same age and height as the boy. Almost everyone here speaks Spanish. We are only two hours from Spain. Sit down and let me treat you to something, said the boy, and ask for a glass of wine for me. I hate this tea. There is no wine in this country, the young man said. The religion here forbids it. The boy told him then that he needed to get to the pyramids. He almost began to tell about his treasure, but decided not to do so. If indeed it was possible that the Arab would want a part of it as payment for taking him there, he remembered what the old man had said about suffering, about something you didn't even have yet. I'd like you to take me there if you can. I pay you to serve as my guard. Do you have any idea how to get there? The newcomer asked. The boy noticed that the owner of the bar stood nearby, listening attentively to their conversation. He felt uneasy at the man's presence, but he had found a guard and didn't want to miss out on an opportunity. You have to cross the entire Sahara Desert, said the young man, and to do that you need money. I need to know whether you have enough. The boy thought it was a strange question, but trusted in the old man who had said that when you really want something, the universe always conspires in your favor. He took his money from his pouch and showed it to the young man. The owner of the bar came over and looked as well. The two men exchanged some words in Arabic, and the bar owner seemed irritated. Let's get out of here, said the new arrival. He wants us to leave. The boy was relieved. He got up to pay the bill, but the owner grabbed him and began to speak to him in an angry stream of words. The boy was strong and wanted to retaliate, but was in a foreign country. His new friend pushed the owner aside and pulled the boy outside with him. He wanted your money, he said. Tangier is not like the rest of Africa. This is a port, and every port has its thieves. The boy trusted his new friend. He had helped him out in a dangerous situation. He took out his money and counted it. We could get to the pyramids by tomorrow, said the other, taking the money. But I have to buy two camels. They walked together through the narrow street of Tangier. Everywhere, there were stores with items for sale. They reached the center of a large plaza where the market was held. There were thousands of people there, arguing, selling, and buying vegetables for sale amongst daggers and carpet displayed alongside tobacco. But the boy never took his eye off his new friend. After all, he had all his money. He thought about asking him to give it back, but decided that would be unfriendly. He knew nothing about the customs of the strange landlords. I will just watch you. He said to himself, he knew he was stronger than his friend. Suddenly, there in the midst of all that confusion, he saw the most beautiful sword he had ever seen. The scabbard was embossed in silver, and the hand 
entrusted with precious stones. The boy promised himself that when he returned from Egypt, he would get that sword. Ask the owner of that store how much the sword cost, he said to his friend. Then he realized that he had been distracted for a few moments, looking at the sword. His heart squeezed as if his chest had suddenly compressed it. He was afraid to look around because he knew what he would find. He continued to look at the beautiful sword for a bit longer. shouting and buying and the aroma of strange food, but nowhere could he find his new companion. The boy wanted to believe that his friend had simply become separated from him by accident. He decided to stay right there and await his return. As he waited, a priest climbed to the top of a nearby tower and began his chant. Everyone in the market fell to their knees, touched their foreheads to the ground and took up the chant. Then, like a colony of workers, and they dismantled their stores and left. The sun began its departure as well. The boy watched it through its trajectory for some time, which was hidden behind the white housing surrounding the plaza. He recalled that when the sun had risen that morning, he was on another continent, still a shepherd with sixty sheep, and looking forward to meeting with the girl. That morning, he had known everything that was going to happen to him as he walked through the familiar fields. But now, as the sun began to set, he was in a different country, a stranger in a strange land, where he couldn't even speak the language. He was no longer a shepherd, and he had nothing, not even the money to return and start everything over. All this happened between sunrise and sunset, the boy thought. He was feeling sorry for himself lamented the fact that his life could have changed so suddenly and so drastically. He was so ashamed that he wanted to cry. He never even wept in front of his own sheep, but the marketplace was empty and he was far from home. So he wept. He wept because God was unfair and because this was the way God repaid those who believed in their dreams. When I had my sheep, I was happy and I made those around me happy. People saw me coming and welcomed me, he thought. But now I'm sad and alone. I'm going to become bitter and distrustful of people because one person betrayed me. I am going to hate those who have found a treasure because I've never found one. And I'm going to hold on to what little I have because I'm too insignificant to conquer the world. He opened his pouch to see what was left of his possession. Maybe three was a bit left of the sandwich he had eaten on the ship, but all he found was the heavy book, his jacket, and the two stones the old man had given him. As he looked at the stones, he felt relieved for some reason. He has exchanged his ship for two precious stones that had taken from a gold breastplate. He could sell the stones and buy a return ticket, but this time I'd be smart and the boy thought removing them from the past so he could put them in his pocket. This was a poor town, and the only truthful thing his friend had told him was that poor towns are full of thieves. Now he understood why the owner of the bar had been so upset. He was trying to tell him not to trust that man. I'm like everyone else. I 
see the world in terms of what I would like to see happen. Lord, actually, doves. He ran his fingers slowly over the stones, sensing their temperature and feeling their surfaces. They were his treasure. Just handling them made him feel better. They reminded him of the old man. When you want something, all the universe conspires in helping you to achieve it. He had said. The boy was trying to understand the truth of what the old man had said. There was, there he was in the empty marketplace. Without a cent to his name, and without a sheep to guard through the night. But the stones were proof that he had met with the king, the king who knew of the boy's past. They are called Urim and Tumim, and they can help you to win the omen. The boy put the stones back in the pouch and decided to do an experiment. The woodman had said to ask very clear questions, and to do that, the boy had to know what he wanted. So he asked if the old man's blessing was still with him. He took out one of the stones, it was yes. I'm going to find my treasure, he asked. Am I going to find my treasures? He asked. He stuck his hand into the pouch and felt around for one of the stones. As he did so, both of them pushed through a hole in the pouch and fell to the ground. The boy had never even noticed that there was a hole in his pouch. He knelt down to find Urim and Tumim and put them back in the pouch. As he saw them lying there on the ground, another phrase came to his mind. Learn to recognize words and follow them, the old king had said. In Omen, the boy smiled to himself. He picked up the two stones and put them in his pouch. He didn't consider mending the hole. The stones could fall through any time they wanted. He learned that there were certain things one shouldn't ask about so as not to flee from one's destiny. I promised that I would make my own decisions, he said to himself, but the stones had told him that the old man was still with him and that made him feel more confident. He looked around at the empty plaza again, feeling desperate than before. This was in a strange place. It was a new one. After all, what he had always wanted was just that, to know new places, even if he never got to the pyramids. He had already traveled farther than any shepherd he knew. Or if they only knew how different things are just two hours by sheep from where they are, he thought. Although his new world at this moment was just an empty marketplace, he had already seen it when he was teeming with life. And he would never forget it. He remembered the sword. It hurt him a bit to think about it. But he had never seen one like it before. As he mused about these things, he realized that he had to choose between thinking of himself as a poor victim of a thief and as an adventurer in quest of destruction. I am an adventurer looking for treasure, he said to himself. He was shaken into wakefulness by someone. He had fallen asleep in the middle of the marketplace, and life in the plaza was about to resume. Looking around, he saw the sheep, and then realized that it was a new world. But instead of being saddened, he was happy. He no longer had to seek her food and water for the sheep. He could go in search of his treasure instead. He had not a cent in his pocket, but he had. 
had faith, he had decided the night before that it would be as much as an adventurer as the ones he had admired in books. He walked slowly through the market, the merchants were assembling their stores, and the boy helped the candy seller to do his. The candy seller had a smile on his face. He was happy, aware of what his life was about, and ready to begin the day's work. His smile reminded the boy of the old man, the mysterious old king he had met. This candy merchant isn't always candy, so that later he can travel or marry a shopkeeper's daughter. He's doing it because it's what he wants to do, thought the boy. He realized that he could do the same thing the old man had done, since whether a person was near to or far from his destiny. Just by looking at them, it's easy and yet I've never done it before, he thought. When the store was assembled, the candy seller offered the boy the first sweet he had made for the day. The boy thanked him, ate it and went on his way. When he had gone only a short distance, he realized that while they were erecting the store, one of them had spoken Arabic and other Spanish, and they had understood each other perfectly well. There must be a language that doesn't depend on words, the boy thought. I've already had that experience with many sheep, and now it is happening with people. He was learning a lot of new things. Some of them were things that he had already experienced and weren't really new, but that he had never perceived before. And he hadn't perceived them because he had become accustomed to them, he realized. If he can learn to understand this language without words, I can learn to understand the world. Relaxed and unhurried, he resolved that he would walk through the narrow street of Tanger. Only in that way would he be able to read the omens. He knew it would require a lot of patience, but shipping knew all about patience. Once again, he saw that in the strange land was a time he seemed lost in that land with his ship. All things are one, the old man had said. The crystal merchant awoke with a day and felt the same anxiety as he felt every morning. He had been in the same place for 30 years, a shop at the top of a hilly street where few customers passed. Now it was too late to change anything. The only thing he had ever learned to do was to buy and sell crystal glassware. There had been a time when many people knew of his shop. Arab merchants, French and English geologists, German soldiers who were always well healed. And he had thought how he would become rich and have beautiful women at his side as he grew older. But as time passed, Tanger had changed. The nearby city of Quetta had grown faster than Tanger, and business had fallen off. Neighbors moved away, and there remained only a few small shops on the hill, and no one was going to climb the hill just to browse through a few small shops. But the crystal merchant had no choice. He had lived 30 years of his life buying and selling crystal pieces, and now it was too late to do anything. Spending time money observing the infrequent coming and going in the street, he had done this for years and knew the schedule of everyone who passed. But just before lunchtime, the boy stopped in front of the shop. He was dressed normally, but the practice eye of the crystal merchant could see that the boy had no money to spend. Nevertheless, 
the merchant decided to delay his lunch for a few minutes but the boy moved on a card handing in a doorway announced that several languages were spoken in the shop the boy saw a man appear behind the counter i can clean up those glasses in the window if you want said the boy the way they look now nobody is going to want to buy them the man looked at him without responding exchange you could give me something to eat the man still said nothing and the boy said that he was going to have to make a decision in his pouch he had his jacket he certainly wasn't going to need it in the desert taking the jacket out he began to clean the glasses in half an hour he had cleaned all the glasses in the window and as he was doing so two customers had entered the shop and bought some costumes when he had completed the cleaning, he asked the man for something to eat. Let's go and have some lunch, said the crystal merchant. He put a sign on the door and they went to a small cafe nearby and they sat down the only thing when they cleaned. The crystal merchant laughed. He didn't have to do any cleaning, he said. The Quran requires me to feed a hungry person. Well then, why did you let me do it, the boy asked. Because the crystal was dirty, and both you and I needed to cleanse our mind of negative thoughts. When they had eaten, the merchant turned to the boy and said, I'd like you to work in my shop. Two customers came in today while you were working, and that's a good omen. People talk a lot about omens, thought the shepherd, but they really don't know what they are saying. Just as I, as I realized that for so many years, I have had been speaking a language without words to my sheep. Do you want to work for me? The merchant asked. I can work for the rest of today, the boy asked. I'll work all night until dawn and I will clean every piece of crystal in the shop. In return, I need money to get to Egypt tomorrow. The merchant laughed. Even if you clean my crystal for an entire year, even if you earn a good commission, selling every piece, you will still have to borrow money to get to Egypt. There are thousands of kilometers of desert between here and there. There was a moment of silence, so profound that it seemed the city was asleep. No sound from the bazaars, no argument among the merchants, no men climbing to the towers to chant, no hope, no adventure, no old king or destiny no treasure and no pyramid. It was as if the world had fallen silent because the boy so hard. He sat there, staring blankly through the door of the cafe, wishing he had died and that everything would end forever at the moment. The merchant looked anxiously at the boy. All the joy he had seen the morning had suddenly disappeared. I can give you the money you need to get back to your country, my son said the crystal merchant. The boy said nothing. He got up, adjusted his clothing, and picked up his pouch. I'll work for you, he said. And after another long silence, he added, I need money to buy some sheep. Thank you for staying tuned. I've come to the end of part one. Stay tuned for the end of Stay tuned for part two. Thank you.